I could just grab one right here. Thank you. Yeah, Christine, I've known Chris since he was like five. Um, I've, I've known Christine since she was, Erin um, and I were a college pastor. And so um, all I have to say is it, it could only be God that brought her together. No, like, no, Chris is an awesome guy. You get, a lot of you don't know him, but I've known him since he was like, like a young, a little boy. Now he's like a young man. Um, I share the sentiments. I, I'm like, why do people have to get married and leave? Why don't, why don't they bring them to? I um, also want to say, um, man, this weekend was great. Um, got to celebrate double birthdays uh, with Kylie yeah. and Olivia. They both turned three. Um, the last, on Friday before Olivia turned three, she was talking to us at night, and she's like, isn't it surprising that tonight's the last night I'm two? <laughs> and, and I was just like, wow, you're, you're aware. Well, we've been talking about her birthday for like three months, so, so she's kind of aware. Um, She's three now, so she's what they call a, a three-nager. Um, you guys, I know you guys are like, what is that? Um, basically, I guess developmentally, they act like teenagers. They, they're more independent. Um, um, they, they, they want their own boundaries. And um, she stopped kind of hugging me and kissing me at three. I was like, I was ready for this at 13, but not at three. <laughs> and so we'd go in for our, our bedtime ritual, and we do our story. It's very complex. But basically sing songs and read stories and all this stuff. And at the end, um, we give her a hug and kisses. And um, for like the past several days, like when I'm trying to give her a hug and a kiss, she's like, no. And she will grab a blanket and put it up over her face. <laughs> right? And I'm like, ah, you know, checking my breath. Like, I'm like no, it's good. Right? Um, and then Aaron will be like, hug and kiss. And she's like, yeah. And she like hugs Aaron and kiss. And I'm like, am I not spending enough time with her? Am I like, what's going on here? Um, and I'll admit, I'm, I'm 38, I feel pretty secure, right? I, I, think, I think I do. A lot more secure than when I was 13, a lot more secure than when I was in college, a lot more secure than I was in my early 30s. I feel like I'm pretty secure, but whenever Olivia would say like, no, and like cover her face and turn away, and, and, then, and I was never upset that she would hug and kiss, you know, my wife, but it, it would sting a little bit. I'm going to be honest, it would sting a little bit. And there was one time, though, like this week where... The thought came. I didn't say it, right? And then I was like, no, no, no. But the thought came, five months, there's going to be another little baby. <laughs> so, so, so you, oh, we're pregnant if you didn't know. Two dates in August, and, like, and that baby's going to hug and kiss me, so you better. No, I'm kidding. That thought came, and then I was like, no, you get away. You, no, no, not that kind of parent. But it, the thought came up. So um, it happened again this week, and like, I was a little hurt. You know, not hurt, I was it stung. It stung. Um, but I know she loves me, you know, she's going through what, her stuff, her issues, whatever it is that three majors go through. And so uh, I just kind of walked out like, okay, I understand. I'm not going not gonna to pressure you. It's all right. The blanket's still over your head. I'm leaving. And I walk out, and then um, I hear, like, Aaron saying, how come you don't want to hug Appa? Appa is what, what you say, dad in Korean. Um, and later she comes out, she's like, babe, I found out why Olivia doesn't want to hug and kiss you. And I was like, why? Tell me. And she's like, when I asked her how come you don't want to hug and kiss Appa, she got really sad. And then she said, he's so scratchy. <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? That's it? And so I sh I sh the next night, like before bedtime, I, 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 I brought out my razor. And I was like, Olivia, I'm going to shave. And I shaved. And it's like, is this soft? She's like, so soft. And, like, and I'll, be, I'll, I'll admit, I was a little nervous that this wasn't going to work and that it was actually going to be something else. And so finally, we do our whole ritual, putting her down. And I'm, I'm like, Olivia, do you want a hug and a kiss? Boom, no problem. She gave me a hug, gave me a kiss, and like all day, every day, it's just hugging kisses and hugging kisses. And I was like, oh wow, it's just like 
it just, it hurt every time I gave her a hug and a kiss. And this whole time I thought it was something else going on, but um, yeah, something deeper. Well, anyway, um, if you want to pull out a deeper meaning from that, you guys can pray about it, but, uh, <laughs> but um, let's pray, let's pray. Um, Father, um, man, just, just so thankful to be here with community, with other people, because there's, there's nothing like being with other people who know you and love you, who are being loved by you, who are being healed into wholeness, to just come together and, and, and be loved on by you, God. So we're just so thankful, Lord, so thankful. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, Ryan asked me like a couple months ago, hey, Joe, do you want to speak sometime? And I was like, sure. He's like, send a date. And I only chose this date because it was after Olivia's um, birthday, not knowing that it's going to be Palm Sunday. I was like, oh my goodness, what did I sign up for? Palm Sunday. And I grew up in church, so I've heard so many messages about Palm Sunday, and I was like, what do I share about? Because, because there's so much. I mean, if you, if you study the life of Jesus, there's so much. And the more I studied, I was like, I can't do this like brain information dump because I don't feel like that's what um, preaching is. I feel like what preaching is is what is God, the Spirit of God, saying to our community right now? And it might go beyond this community, but what is God saying to us right now? And as I was reading about this story, um, I couldn't help but think of how God has his timeline, and we have our timeline. You know, and how we always want God to do things a certain way at a certain time. Um, but God also wants to do things at a certain time in a certain way. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, and didn't watch TV too much, but um, there was a TV in my dad's room, and I was watching. There was this TV show called The Fall Guy, and none of you know it because you're way too young. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah some of you know it. Um, <laughs> and then some of, some of you super hipsters are like, oh, I know that show. It's, it's, it's like in the 1980s. Um, and I was like five years old or something. I was watching it. It's about a stuntman who, who's also a, a bounty hunter, and he catches... Uh, uh, bad guys by doing these elaborate stunts and so there was this one stunt and I was watching it and the car went off the bridge and like he's jumping out of the car um, and then it went to a commercial and I hear my dad calling me to dinner and I was like oh so I was like I gotta go but it's so exciting but my dad's calling me so I turned off the TV and maybe I was like four or five at the time went to eat dinner um, came back and turned it on expecting it to be frozen where I turned it off and the guy's going and being like what happened to the show and I flip all the channels, I'm like, the show's gone. It, it never dawned to me that the moment I turn off the TV that the show would keep going, right? I, I, I had a timeline, TV has, now they have something called DVR, right, where you can just pause it, I was ahead of my time. Um, and, and I think of, of Jesus as, as he's walking into Jerusalem and people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And because people have been waiting and and not just individuals, but you have to understand, if you're talking about Israel, they've been waiting for hundreds of years for a Messiah, for, and Messiah means Savior or Deliverer. I mean, they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, they think that there's this man who might be the Messiah. And there were many people who came before Jesus who said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. None of them claimed to be God that I know of, but they said, I'm a Deliverer. And when the Jews heard that word Messiah, it meant someone that was like, I'm going to free you politically, militarily, I'm going to set you free. And who was oppressing the Israelites at that time, the Jewish people? The Romans. There were people that were following Jesus thinking like, man, could this be the Messiah? And early on, he's performing little miracles here and there, healings here and there. 
And people are starting to get excited. Oh, wow, I think this might be the Messiah. I think this might be the guy. And then he feeds the thousands, and then the, and then the five thousands, not counting women and children. He's, and people are like, oh, wow, he, he took, what, a, five loaves of bread and two fish and fed thousands of people. And people are even meeting people who are like, I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. This is real. This is, this is legitimate. It's real. People are getting excited. And his disciples are like, Jesus, when are you going to do what you're supposed to do, which is become king? And then make me like a prince, right? So you need to become king so I can become a prince. Come on. And, and every time it's like Jesus should, should stay somewhere because the crowds are coming, he would leave. And they'd be like, no, this is not how you, how you, how you launch a product, Jesus. Like, this is, this is like, like the momentum. Like, we need to go with it. And like, he would, he would be like anti-hype, anti-momentum, anti-publicity. And they're going, what's going on? Jesus has some friends, really close friends. Their brother is sick. And so they send word, like, Jesus, you can heal him. We need you to come. You can do it. And Jesus does not go out for several days. And only after he's dead, he starts to head in their direction. His name was Lazarus. Long story short, Jesus weeps. He's weeping. He knows he's going to raise him from the dead, but he weeps. He feels the pain. He says, roll away the stone. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus rises up, comes out of the tomb. People knew that he was dead. They, they smelled that he was dead. Soon after this, he decides, it's time. I'm going to Jerusalem. And can you imagine his disciples saying, yes! I mean, feeding the 5,000 was like, that would have been a good launch, but you brought someone back from the dead? This is it! This is the what Jesus, you are the publicity master. I will never question you again. Like, this is the time to go. And so it says that if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it says, after Lazarus was raised from the dead... I mean, some people might come out like, oh, you multiplied some food, maybe I'll come. But you raised some guy from the dead, and he was dead for three days? Like, I will come out for that guy. And so he's walking in Jerusalem, and crowds are now following him. People that saw Lazarus, knew Lazarus, are coming saying, I knew the guy. I cried at his funeral. I smelled how dead he was. And then I saw him come out. He still smelled. Had to give him a bath. He, he, guy was dead. Can you imagine the hype? the excitement, the anticipation. They're like, this guy's going to do it. Now, Rome is oppressing them. And, and countries and nations have been oppressing Israel for hundreds of years. This time it happens to be Rome. Now, there are people that call the zealots who wanted to fight back. They're like, enough of this. Like, this is wrong. We are going to fight back. Can you imagine if they go, Jesus multiplies bread. We can feed an army of 100,000. No problem. Jesus heals the sick. Don't have to wear armor. Brings the dead back to life. We have an immortal army. Like, we got this. Like, everyone, sign up. Like, let's go. This guy right here, we can't lose. And now Jesus finally says, I'm coming. And they're like, yes, let's go. And he walks into Jerusalem. Can you imagine how excited they are? They're like, and they're like, oh. And the Romans are walk, look, watching, like, what's going on? They're like, oh, you don't even know. Like, it's coming. Don't worry about it. Like, can you imagine? They're like, they're like, and maybe the Romans were laughing. Oh, he's riding on a donkey. And they're like, you don't even know. Now, I'm sure you might have heard before that when people conquered a city, they often rode in on a, on a horse, sometimes a white horse. Um, but for the Jewish people, donkeys were very symbolic. When Solomon, Solomon was announced king of Israel, um, when David was dying, David said, put him on a donkey, right? Nobility rode on donkeys, right? Um, Donkeys were also um, very valuable. 
right? Like they, they could carry a lot of things, they, a pack animal. Um, uh, they, they were also useful for farming, um, kind of like an SUV back then, right? Like they're very, very valuable, very valuable. So much that, that in Exodus, um, the law even said, don't covet your neighbor's house. And some of us are like, yeah, yeah, I can maybe, or, you know, even if you're watching HGTV, you don't know who the house belongs to, but you're coveting it, right? So don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or spouse. Don't covet your, the, their male servants, their female servants, their oxen, or their donkeys. And then it goes, or anything else. Donkeys were so important and valuable that they're even listed before, or anything else. Okay? I mean, so... When we think about Jesus riding in on a donkey, sometimes we're like, oh, it's because he just, you know, he's very understated and he wanted just, no, but, but to the Jewish people, the donkey was very symbolic. Nobility and kings had ridden in on donkeys. They knew the value of a donkey. But it also symbolized peace. That he was coming in peace. You know, when I first became a teacher, um, all I knew is that I was going to a classroom that had five teachers and the last three teachers had quit, and the kids had made them, made them quit. Um, so that's never a good sign, right? So I'm going in there, and I'm like, okay, I, I've worked with youth and young people before, um, but I have no idea what to do. And so when I went in there, I was just like, I'm just going to lock this down. Like, you guys got rid of five teachers. You guys are out of control. I'm going to lock it down. There was this one kid um, who would speak to me. Um, he spoke with a certain accent that I didn't know by until the fourth day that he was just messing with me the whole time, right? <laughs> and then one, one, I guess one of the kids finally felt bad for me. They're like, oh, Mr. O, you know, you know Brandon? Yeah, he, 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 that's not actually the way he talks. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it was a hard class. It was a hard class. I remember um, one day Brandon, the same kid, uh, like one day I, I said something or, or something happened, and he got so mad he picked up his lunch, and he just threw it against the wall. Right, and he was just like seething. I can't remember what it was about, but I remember like trying not to laugh. And like, well, and, but, but, but I looked at him, I was like, Brandon, we're gonna talk about this later. All right, and, and the class goes, and then we go to lunch, and then I'm sitting there with Brandon, I'm like, Brandon, why are you so angry? He's like, I'm not angry. And I was like, I was like, hey, like, I'm not trying to get you in trouble right now, but like, there's a lot of anger. And I was like, just even the way you're breathing, just breathe with me. I was like, <laughs> and like, like, he wasn't even aware of how angry and tense he was. I was like, you threw your lunch against the wall. I was like, like, I would never do that. Like, I would throw a book. I would throw, but not my lunch. Like, you must be angry. And, it, and he was like, Whew. you know, and we, we had a good talk. Um, it was from there that I realized if I really wanted to get through to these students, I couldn't be the lockdown guy. Like, before it was like, you guys are out of control. I need to come down and just like, just boom, just like sit up straight, stand, do, do, and like, you know, give them the look. And like, and it, and it kind of worked, but it only worked as long as I was like right in their face. The moment I walk like a couple steps away, laughter, get, like something's happening. You know, a lot of times we want Jesus to come in on that white horse. We're like, conquer Jesus. I'm sick and tired of people disrespecting my faith, disrespecting you, aka me, for being a Christian, right? Like, like I'm so sick of it. Like, I'll just show yourself, God, and just humble everyone, and they'll just be like, oh my gosh, I was wrong. You were right. God is, uh, 
and we just want to come in and just overpower people, right? Or maybe, maybe there are people that are just doing the wrong thing and abusing their authority and abusing their power. And we're just like, God, just come in and just, uh, right? Just, just dominate them. Just make them do what's right. Right? These Romans are oppressing us. So God, just show up and just lay the smack on them. Your righteous holy smack. Right? Not my twisted sense of wrath, but your holy wrath, God, pour it out. We want him to do that. But how does he show up? Riding on a donkey, which symbolizes peace. It actually takes someone more powerful to bring peace. I mean, it takes more power to bring peace than it does to conquer people. And I think we've seen that even with our government. Like, we can go, we could probably topple most governments in the world if we wanted to. What happens afterwards? I mean, bringing peace, it actually takes real power and authority to bring peace. It doesn't really take too much power to bring, to conquer a people. But Jesus came to establish peace. You know, there was something interesting about the donkey, um, I was kind of thinking about donkeys this week. Um, yeah. It's like, oh, wow, they're valuable. Yeah, they are. Um, another thing about donkeys is not only were they valuable, but they're also considered unclean. And what that meant was um, if, if they were unclean, um, there were animals that were supposed to be sacrificed. Um, the firstborn was supposed to be sacrificed, like given to God. Um, and donkeys, no exception, the firstborn of a donkey should be, should be sacrificed to God, except it's considered unclean, which means if it's unclean, it's not an acceptable sacrifice. So you're like kind of caught in this catch-22 of like, okay, so it's the firstborn donkey, all animals firstborn, I sh- I'm supposed to sacrifice to God. Oh, wait, it's unclean, so I can't sacrifice it, but it's the firstborn, so I have to sacrifice it, but it's unclean, so I can't sacrifice it. And then you're just like, oh, this is just like God, right? Like putting me in an impossible situation, and then I get in trouble. Um, th- but God provided a way for that. He said in the case of a donkey, a lamb could be sacrificed in place of that donkey, and the donkey goes free. So here is Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And maybe some of the people were like, I want the white horse. But he's coming on that donkey. And as John the prophet said, here comes the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And here's a donkey symbolizing peace. And on that donkey's back, he's carrying in the Lamb of God. And how is God going to bring that peace? By declaring war on his son. That's how he's going to bring the peace. Now, Zechariah 9.9 it says this, if you could bring it up there. It says, rejoice. Oh, I'm sorry, was that too quick? <laughs> it's like, okay. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, he's fulfilling a prophecy of being seated on a donkey. And the first thing it says is, rejoice. Rejoice when you see him coming on a donkey. Honestly, we should tremble if he came on a white horse. Because that means he's coming to conquer. That means he's coming to just judge without mercy. 
But if he's coming on a donkey, he's coming in peace. Rejoice, rejoice. Now, I feel like God was saying, and this, was, this is what I want to leave us with. Um, hopefully I can go just for 15 more minutes and I want to do some time of worship. But I feel like the word for our community was this, is that we need to learn how to rejoice. We need to learn how to rejoice. And here's the thing, we can only rejoice if we understand suffering. See, rejoice is not denial. Rejoice is not everything's great. Jesus came, died, and rose again. We're going to heaven. It's all done. He did it. He did it. Not me. It's you, Lord. Right? Like, that, it's not denial. And sometimes we can run into that, and we think that's what it means to rejoice. It's like, this world doesn't matter. Hear this on the news, and this is happening, and this injustice, and you know what? But God's going to take care of it all. Denial is not the answer. But just like denial is not, <sighs> dismay is not either. I mean, some of us, or I think a lot of us, we know what's going on in the world. Here, abroad, I mean, things happening even yesterday. And you look at it, 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 it just can drag you down like a, like a heavy rock. And then you're thinking, God, where's the justice? Where's the peace? You came and you rose again. Where's the... And if you focus on that, what happens? Like, all of a sudden, now you're just in dismay. Hebrews 12 says, fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sits at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus, as he's walking into Jerusalem in Mark 11, I'll just read it here. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you. Immediately as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? It says, The Lord, have need, Lord has need of it and will send it here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. Remember, donkeys are valuable. They're untying it. Other, other versions of, of this say, The owners said, What are you doing? He said, The Lord has need of it. They're like, Okay, take it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the donkey? And they told them that Jesus said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many spread their cloaks on the road. Others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, it was already late, and he went out to Bethany with the twelve. They were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And what that word means, and, and the literal translation is, is something along the lines of, please save us. Please save us. It's like begging. I beg you, save us. Please save us. But something happened with that word where it changed from, please save us. I beg you to save us too. We're saved. It says that the people, and you read the other gospels, from the children to the men, they were shouting this joyfully, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. Hosanna. And what it meant was, we're saved. Jesus, the guy who brought Lazarus from, back from the grave, he's coming. We're saved. It's over. We're saved. We're saved. This is what they're shouting. Hosanna, Hosanna. Jesus sees all of this. He goes into the temple. And he notices that it's late, so he leaves. Here's what he does next. 
And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? All the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out to the city. Jesus comes to the temple. He notices that it's what he calls a den of robbers. But he also notices that it's late and there's not a lot of people around. So he leaves. Because he wants to come back when there are a lot of people there for what he's about to do. Right? Like, when I think about people that get angry, like, it's premeditated. Like, there's a higher penalty in our court system if you premeditate something as opposed to a crime of passion. Right? When he walks in and he sees what they're doing, there's the wrath of God. But he's like, no. This will have the most impact and effect if I come back at a later time. And he leaves. It's premeditated. When he comes back, he overturns the tables, drives them out. I mean, Jesus, I never heard a story where Jesus dragged someone to church. Like, you have to come to church and be saved. You have to believe. Here's a story of Jesus driving people out of the temple, though, saying, get out. This guy, not the guy who I thought he was, driving people out of the temple. But why? He said it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. The place where they had set up their, ta- their, their temples. Now, it would be cool if we ever did like a temple study sometime, but in the middle of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies where they call- kept something called the Ark of the Covenant. Um, it was where they had like the, the, the tablets for the commandments, I believe, um, a jar of manna, Aaron's bud, rose that had a bud on it. It's, and it symbolized God's presence. And it was kept behind this thick velvet curtain. I think the curtain was even like a foot thick. Um, and only, only once a year, I think, a high not a high priest, but a priest that was cast by lots could go back there and meet with God. Holy of holies. Basically like 99.99% of people would never go back there. And then beyond that was another court and then another court. There were places where you could get, you could come closer if you were a priest. You could come closer if you were a man. Then there was a place you could come if you were a woman. And you had to be Jewish though. Then there was finally a place where it was like the court of the Gentiles where you weren't Jewish by birth, but you were a God-fearing Gentile, or you were curious, you could come in this space and possibly hear about God. But what they had done is they'd pushed the people out of that space, they'd set up their markets. You know, sacrifice was an important part, and they set up their tables and their animals and their, and their exchange rate and everything, and they'd pushed out the people where God said, I created this space for them, but they've been displaced and pushed out. And when he saw that, it angered him. It angered him so much, he was like, I'm going to wait. Other stories talk about him braiding a whip. Right, like, I mean, it's one thing to just grab a stick, right, and just, but when you're braiding a whip, like, you're, th- you're thinking about it, like, yep. Not long enough. Not long enough. <laughs> like, he's like, how long did it take to braid this whip? I don't know. And then he comes back, and he drives him out. Why? Because he sees the injustice. He's like, I'm coming to bring peace. These people, where are they? You've driven them out. Our churches, when we gather, there needs to be a space and a place for people who don't feel like they can come into the Holy of Holies, 
who don't feel like they can come where the Jewish people are, but who feel like, I'm interested, but I don't know if I fit with you guys, but I'm interested. I'm open. I'm not sure. I've questioned. We need those spaces. We need those places. I mean, otherwise, Jesus might come in and just rip everything out. I mean, he came in on a donkey, and one of the first things he does is goes to the temple and he cleanses it, saying, this is why I came. You think I came to get rid of the Romans. But my, I, what I'm thinking about the whole time is, I've got to cleanse my temple. You're saying, get rid of the Romans. And I'm like, where are the Gentiles? That was his heart. He's coming in on a donkey. And that's what we're celebrating. It's that God, you are actually coming to bring peace on this earth. You have come to bring peace on this earth. Anyone that felt like they were pushed out and there's no place for them, Jesus, you are coming for them. That's who you are. He moves along. That's actually another part. But he moves along, and he starts to weep over Jerusalem. He says, if only you would have recognized who's before you. And he starts to weep. We see Jesus riding in on a donkey, full of righteous anger. We see him weeping, weeping. Oh, this is supposed to be his triumphant debut. I want to go back to Hebrew. It says, for the joy set before him, how he endured the cross. This joy that we're talking about doesn't mean you don't have righteous anger. doesn't mean that you don't weep and your heart doesn't break for people who are suffering around you. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's a story of Stephen, who's one of the saints, after Jesus has already been crucified and resurrected. He starts to um, challenge some of the religious authorities, saying, hey, you guys didn't believe any of the prophets. You didn't listen to Moses. You know? And he's just like listing off all the things that they've done wrong. It's like, you killed and persecuted every prophet that God has ever sent, including John the Baptist and the one he talked about, Jesus. And when they heard that, they're like, we're going to kill you too. And so, yeah, and so, and so he, they start to stone him. But he has a vision. It says, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, sees heaven open up. And he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And every time in Scripture they talk about Jesus at the right hand of God, he's seated. He's sitting at the right hand. But in this moment, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know, I had a friend once who was um, sharing with me about, like, being thankful and grateful, and, and I forget the exact example, but he said, man, I didn't realize how good I had it until I saw, saw this guy. And I was like, man, I shouldn't be complaining. And it reminded me of a quote where someone said, I, I was sad I had no shoes until I saw someone with no feet. If you guys ever heard that? And then, but if you, if you think about that, you're like, but what about the guy with no feet? How is he supposed to now feel better about his situation? You see what I'm saying? Like, and then you keep going and keep going. And now when Stephen is being stoned here, what gets him through it? It's not like he sees a vision of hell open up before him. He's like, oh man, my present reality, not so good. But better than that. Way better than that. I'm not going to, ooh, I'm not, ah, I'm not, I complain. 
That's not what got him through this time. He's getting stoned. I mean, pretty much he knows I'm going to die a slow, painful death. He's getting stoned, but what gets him through it? He doesn't see a situation or think of people worse off than him. He sees something more beautiful, more real, more glorious. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now a king sits because he's a king. You stand. But Jesus is standing. He's standing for Stephen. And I can only imagine Stephen being like, my king is standing for me. He's standing for me. And he just, he's so full of that that nothing else can take away that joy. It doesn't make the pain any less, but that joy is just overwhelming him. Jesus, the pain, facing the wrath of God, because it's not just the nails, right? I remember being a little kid and reading about people in the Philippines who would nail themselves to a cross on Easter. Talk to Cancino, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay? Borderline awkward. I, and, and, I, and, and that really troubled me as a kid because I was like, oh wait, if other people are doing this, what, the, what makes what Jesus did so significant? And then, and then actually reading the story, and be like, wait, wait, Jesus wasn't just crucified. There are two people next to him that were crucified too. So what is the big deal about this cross thing? Like what, what's going on? And it wasn't just the, the whipping and the beating and the physical torture that he endured but it was that wrath of God see like every time we do now now I'm a father now and I'd always hear people say like oh when I became a father it changed my life and I understand this and it's true it's true right it's true it's only cliche if if you if you if it hasn't happened to you right because it's not cliche to me because I'm living it now and you know when when um when I took Olivia to a a, a preschool which is like it's, it's, it's an amazing preschool I mean Aaron and I are educators. It's one of the top preschools probably in the nation, if not, if not the Bay Area, right? So, <laughs> but we took her there and, and trying to get her acclimated um, to, uh, uh, you know, being in, in, being in preschool, in the institution. And so I'm just sitting there and, and trying to give her her space, you know, like she's walking around. And, play, and then um, she, she was like two, two and a half at that time. And um, this other kid comes over and, you know, he looks like four or five, you know, you know, and he, he comes running over, and like, I, I, I'm, I'm still in my seat, but I'm like, I'm aware, you know, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm aware, and then he comes over to Olivia, and he goes, this is our school, and I totally understand that he's five, right, <laughs> so I did not overreact, I did not overreact, I didn't, <laughs> but there was that part of me where I was like, back off, son, right where's your mommy and daddy <laughs> like Olivia let's go excuse me teacher there's a child who fell on the floor back there <laughs> no I can't no I wouldn't do that trust me I still have senses of being aware like he's also five developmentally he's also you know maybe insecure about what belongs to him or not like I, I was not angry at the kid I was not gonna hurt a kid okay so um but but I was still super protective of Olivia can only imagine God's heart over all his children. You know, the thing about injustice is that we have, we have words like social justice, right? The thing about justice is we actually have a very acute sense of justice and injustice, every single person. 
Some of those people that you're like, oh, on Facebook, I don't think they have an idea of what injustice is. No, they do. Every human being has a very acute sense of justice and injustice. No more than kindergartners. Like, you try to share anything amongst kindergartners, like, they will let you know if you are just or unjust. Right? Like, his cookie had eight chocolate chips. Right? And now some of you guys like, they're kindergartners. Can they count to eight? I know. I'm, it's an example. But they're very aware of what's just and unjust. Right? You try to be fair with kids, like, oh my gosh, it takes so much time. We are very aware of injustice when it happens to us. I mean, anything unjust happens to us, we are very aware. But the further away the injustice happens, the less aware we become. The less it moves us. The less it hurts us. Something happens to me or Olivia or my immediate family, I feel it everywhere. It happens to someone in California or another... The further away it gets from us, the less we feel it. Jesus was the complete opposite. People would insult him, say all sorts. He wouldn't even respond. And then he would see, wait, you turned this area that was supposed to be for the Gentiles? Who the Jews didn't even like know why. Probably, probably like, why is this space even here? They're not the chosen people. And he, he flips out. He's so aware God, aware of injustice, heart of a father, protective, like Jesus in that whip. I mean, if God did not have his wrath, none of us would be here. Because reactively, we'd all just drop dead. Like, boom, 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 boom. Like, but like Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to wait for a good time to show my wrath. He leaves and breaks a whip. God did the same thing. Like he's seeing all this injustice. And we're like, God, I know you see this. I know you care. I don't get it. God sees it too. And like every time he sees it, he's like, oh, this wrath. I've got to do something with it. That demands my justice. He's like, okay, I'm going to take this wrath. I'm going to put it in this cup. And then he sees something else. Oh, they don't like it when they did that to my daughter. <sighs> Take that wrath. I'm going to put it in this cup. Wow. What they're doing to this community. My people. Take that wrath. Put it in this cup. He says, now when's the perfect time to show everyone how much wrath I have? He says, Jesus, come here. need to pour out my wrath you see it don't you and Jesus is like yeah I see it he's like I need to pour out my wrath I need to bring my justice and Jesus is like you do and God's like for me to bring peace I'm gonna declare war on you I'm gonna pour my wrath on you you know what Jesus says if there's any other way because you're God and I, you're wise. You must have like millions of plans. If there's any other way, then let's do that way. But not as I will, but you will. And God says, 
this is what I will. As a father, another cliche, I would die for my child. And I actually wondered, would I really die for my child? And I would play these scenarios in my head, like we're walking down the street, and a car comes veering out of control, and my child is, I, I, I would just do that. And I'd be like, okay, would I run and jump and push them out of the way? Or would I, 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 I didn't know. I didn't know. Looking at Olivia now, I know. We have another kid in five months, doesn't even need to be born, I already know. Like, I already know. Even horrible parents would give their lives for their children. Like, but God, you gave your child for us. You probably could have come, but I think to show that you held nothing back, you said, I'm going to send my son. And Jesus said, to show that I'm in complete submission to you, God, I'm going to go. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Like, we need to carry that joy in because that's what's going to set us apart. When we, when we talk about social justice, when we talk about op- oppression, and se- what's, what needs to set us apart, because we're not just going to do things that the world does better or more devoted, working 80 hours a week if they work 70. What makes sets us apart is that we bring the joy and the hope of God into it. We bring in the Hosanna, not save us, save us, but we're saved. We are saved. That's what we're bringing. All right? When, when Jesus died on that cross and he rose again, like, well, as he was dying, and, and I grew up in church, so maybe that's why I, I was more skeptical growing up, but there's, there's a, a verse in the Bible, and I'm going to start wrapping up. The praise team can come up, and if Joy or um, Lisa, you can start playing something on the keys. Um, thank you. Uh, as he was on that cross, it says, like, he asked, for something to drink, right? And they gave him vinegar, um, or some people say, like, wine. And, and I remember reading that as a kid, and it bothered me, like, you wimped out. You, you eased your suffering, Jesus. Like, like you, took, you, you took a little bit of, just right at the end, you, 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 you took some comfort from this refreshment, this beverage, and you didn't fully pay, and it kind of bothered me as a kid, right? Because I was like, I thought you were supposed to suffer, right so like you took that and and then you know when jesus finally dies he goes and i always imagine it like he's on that cross right and and he's about to give up his spirit to god and he, and he says it is finished when he says that i always imagine like the, you know have you ever seen marathon runners the ones where their bodies give out like 100 feet from the finish line and just through sheer willpower and determination like they pull up their bodies they take a couple steps and they collapse and they pull up their bodies and they collapse and they drag themselves over to, then their inch goes over the line and then they just they can't even move anymore Right? I picture Jesus coming to the marathon of giving up his life, and he's going to say, it is finished. And I always imagine like he's on this cross, and he goes, it is finished. And then whew, his spirit goes up to the Lord. But if you actually read the Bible, <laughs> it's like, which, it says, this is what it says. He asks for a drink. He's been hanging up there, dehydrating. Parches his throat. And then it says, after the fullness of the wrath of God has been poured out on it, he says, if the scriptures say, in a loud voice, he said, it is finished. 
and he declared it. He went running past that, sprinting past that finish line with his hands up like a boxer after the bell rings, just walking around before the judges have even announced the scorecard, saying, I won. It's finished. It's finished. That's what we bring. We bring that when we walk into the hopeless situation. That's what it means to be a light in darkness. We go there. We feel the suffering. We're not in denial, but we're not in despair. And we say, feel everything you're feeling, but it's finished. It's finished. If you could pray. God, but sometimes, you know what? It doesn't feel like it's finished because we're still going through it. We still see it around us, God. So God, that's why we need your joy, the joy of the Lord, to see you at the right hand of God. God, I pray as a community that you open up our hearts to the injustices that are furthest from us, God. God, where your heart burns, God, we want our heart to burn. Where you're looking, God, that's where we want to be looking. God, where you're moving, that's where we want to be moving. After Jesus rose, he came back. And, and I know I'm kind of skipping into Easter, but like I was talking with Ryan, and he was like, man, every, every day is Easter. Like you can't just, it's like Titanic, right? Everyone knows the ending. Like we already know, none, most of us know, not everyone, I should say everyone, but most of us know he rises, comes back. He goes to Peter and he says, I'm giving all authority back to you. Because what happened was that God gave authority to Adam and Eve in the garden and said, you guys are in charge of everything down here. When they were deceived by the serpent, they handed over that authority to the serpent. What Jesus did was, he said, I took that authority back and I'm giving it to you. And if this world doesn't look like heaven, it's because he's given us the keys and authority to enforce his kingdom on earth. It says, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I just pray for our community. Lord, we need, we have your authority but Lord, teach us to walk in power and authority so that we can enforce your kingdom on this earth. God, teach us to be mature believers. And God, teach us to walk in joy, to walk in joy. Jesus, when you wept over Jerusalem, you were still filled with joy. Jesus, when you were filled with righteous anger clearing out the temple, but you were still filled with joy. When you were broken on that cross, you were still filled with joy. Yeah. Church, let's just go into a time of worship right now. <laughs>